This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to My Favorite Murder. That's Georgia Hardstar. That's Karen Kilgariff. And I'm Jake Brennan. And this is Disgraceland. Yes. Yes. We nailed it. We've done the crossover. <laughs> I think you guys nailed it. I think I fucked it up. I don't know. <laughs> no, it was, the, it was perfect. Yeah, it was great. Love it. Okay, it. now let's take it again, and this time with more energy and less energy. Less energy on certain words yes. and, and then other more. words. <laughs> You'll know. You guys did an audiobook. When yeah. you did it, did you have did somebody produce you guys doing oh, it? Yeah. Or did you produce yourself? Oh no. Right, right. I, same here. And I find I found it to be highly annoying. <laughs> like I was driving me crazy <laughs> with people telling me how to talk into a microphone. But. Oh my god. They didn't tell us how to talk. I mean, oh, thankfully. Lucky. I think because we're pod, I would assume because you're a podcaster, you wouldn't need that much mm. like, help. No. Yeah. yeah, you do it a lot. <laughs> I know. One would think. One would think. Yeah. Wait, did, did you get notes like, can you do it again with more whatever? Yeah. Yeah, literally. Like no. I had an engineer in the booth. Like I got really fed up really quickly and he got, he got, he got my note, put it that way. <laughs> like back off, dude. I got very passive aggressive about it and it ended up working out okay. Um, but it was like, I was like, what the hell? Why? You know, like. I'm, no. Yeah. I feel like it being, uh, you being a podcaster and you having written the book, it's not like sure. it's some other authors. Like when we did our audio book, people are like, are you going to do the audio? And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> That's what... Audio's our thing. <laughs> I would love it to be Julia Roberts because I fucking hate my voice, but. You have a great voice. Although oh, thank you. I'll read your next book. I'll go on record right Oh, good. Now. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do, let's switch it up. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. You can read mine. There we go. Great. <laughs> yes. right. How about you write our next book and we write your next book? <laughs> that would be hysterical. That. Actually, that you just volunteered for way harder homework for us. <laughs> you probably did. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh my god, research! I don't need to do research. <laughs> so much research. How much yeah, research? You do so much research, right? Like that's your yeah. You, um, you did a homework podcast like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone asked me the other day who whose English is I, this dad uh, was at my son's birthday party. And this dad, he's he's Greek and English is his second language. And he was like. How much homework do you have to do? <laughs> like he literally <laughs> meant, didn't say research; he said homework. But it's it's a lot. I've got it down to a system now. It's like um, it, basically a week of research to spend a week writing an episode. Wow! It used to be a lot more. And do you have researchers or any support? Not for Disgraceland. I have worked in a couple other writers here and there. But then for our other shows, we have a bunch of writers and we have one full-time researcher on staff, my dad. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty awesome. cool. Um, he gave me the love of reading and now we pay him to read. So it's all, it's nice. all worked out. <laughs> 
But for me, I like to, if it's something that I'm writing directly, I want to be able to research it because it just gives me the right point of view, you know? Definitely. Right. And it's something you're already interested in. So it's not, you probably read that book or you already know the story a little bit, right? Totally. That's, you know, I feel like that was the sort of unknown leg up that I had in the beginning, this advantage that it's this subject matter that I've just spent my whole life immersed in music and music history. Mm. And I don't need to do a lot of like, like if I was doing a podcast on politics or something, I'd, I'd probably have to do a lot more research just to get a base level of information. But with music, I'm pretty well schooled already. So it's it's a lot easier. Yeah, I love that. I feel like the same way where it's like, I'm obsessed with true crime. So mm. doing the research is just me reading a ton of articles or books about it. And Karen and I are already fascinated with it. So it's easy. For me, it's just like, oh, I actually remembered that completely wrong. Most of the time when I'm reading, I'm like, remember that crazy story where this and that, and then I'm reading it. I'm like, I don't know where I got half of that story. Yeah. Thank God I'm doing this actual research. Yeah. Although I'm old enough now where I've heard stories that I feel like have been erased from the internet that I think are true. You know what I mean? But they're just like, I've gone back to look for them. I'm like, I know I read this somewhere reputable 30 years ago or something. And like, now I can't find it anywhere. Do you think like Mick Jagger's people have scrubbed it? Yeah. Or yeah. is it that kind of situation? Oh, yeah. Perhaps? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Ooh. Scrub from the internet is Jake Brennan's next podcast. <laughs> yeah, the research on that is so hard. <laughs> you have to go to the microfish every <laughs> single time in the basement microfish. of the library. You're screwed. Yes. Yeah. God. <laughs> Imagine, no, how hard would it be for us to do our shows just do this, just create this content in another era, in a pre-internet yeah. era. Yeah. It would be impossible. I mean, I don't know that it would be impossible. We'd probably find a way to make it work in that world. But now it's like, I mean, I'm writing on my phone constantly, researching the efficiency <laughs> mm-hmm. is like crazy. So like whenever I'm bemoaning the era we live in and all the, the annoying things about technology, I try to remember how much easier it makes things. Oh, yeah. You know what I think is wild that like, I'm always like th- talking to my inner child, right? So sometimes I'll go back and be like, what if I could tell my childhood self? I couldn't tell her what she's going to be when she grows up because it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't make sense. What am I going to be? I, that, I don't get it. Yeah. Did you do the thing, the thing with the guidance counselor where they give you a test and yes. they tell you what you're going to be when you grow up? Did they do that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What was yours? God. Do you remember? I, I'm sure it said something like communications, which I yeah. took as a, like, oh, this is a good sign. Mm. But I mean, what the hell else was it going to be? Because I can't do math and I'm, right. you know, not really apt with anything else. But yeah. I do feel like it was something where I was like, ah, uh, yes, another sign that I should do stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like, it's not though. I feel like the the options then were so limited. Like I didn't know you could go to school to be a chef. Like if I knew that I could Uh, have gone to school to be a chef, you know, or like, you know, even like a hairdresser, that would have been mm. so exciting. Like something you're actually interested in rather than communications. What did you get? I I literally got a blank stare and it was like, we don't know what you're going to be, but you're going to work for yourself. Like that's, that's what it was. And at the time I took that as like, I'm going to be like a psychopath and be in jail. Like I didn't didn't know that was a thing. You could work for yourself. You know what I mean? Um, I thought, yeah, you know, the options were like, you can go work in construction or you can be a cop or you can be a teacher. And then that was pretty much my world purview at that point in junior high. I didn't, I didn't think there were other options. Yeah. Yeah. 
how are we supposed to choose? Like even at 18, like you're just going to choose, like you have kids, whatever they want to be right now. What if they had to stick to that for the rest of their <laughs> I lives? Know. Right, because you usually base it on like the friends you're with. Right. Right, when you're 17, Ugh. you know nothing. nothing. I knew nothing when I was 17. <laughs> no like, one knows anything. At 17. Nothing. Your brain isn't fully formed until you're like out of college. <laughs> Right. I feel like college should happen when you're like 30 to 35. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you're actually interested in like, oh, I should be improving myself in some way. Right. Let me actually try at this. Whereas, yeah, I felt forced. It felt like an extension of high school. Yes. And all I wanted to do, I just was so excited to be f- like on my own mm. that I was always just like cutting class and like... <laughs> Oh, oh my God, there's a campus Burger King. I'm going over there. Like, oh my God, I can drink beer right now and no one will know and I won't get in trouble. Like just hedonistic insanity. Yeah. When did you, how old were you when you, when you realized you really wanted to be a stand-up comic? I mean, pretty young. They started putting stand-up on TV all the time in like the early 80s. So it became this kind Mm. of thing that like was one of the very overt choices. And luckily in San Francisco, Alex Bennett hosted, uh, it was on PBS. It was a stand-up show. So it was local stand-up comics in San Francisco doing sets. So it was like, it felt so close. It wasn't like Hollywood, you know? Mm. It was like, you could drive over the bridge and see these people. And they were hilarious and amazing. So it felt like it was kind of being served up all the time. So I I think from a young age. That's amazing. Jake, when did you do your first, when were you in your first band, like legit band? My first legit band was... I was like 19, I think, when I joined. So I was already out of high school and I was in college and they were older kids. They were kind of like local, like in the hardcore scene. They were like, you know, they were kind of like stars, you know what I mean? In yes. our little area. So it was intimidating. Mm-hmm. And um, and I tried out and I, I got in the band and then like we played our first show and then our second show was immediately booked and it just kind of like just started going and going. And I was like, whoa, okay. And... I wasn't even really sure I wanted to be in that band, you know, but it was such an opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It turned out to be great and a lot of fun and very like, you know, probably the most formative years of my life. And then it's like, oh yeah, I want to be a musician. And like, what a tremendously complicated decision that is for somebody to make (laughs) at 19 years old to try and figure out the rest of their life. (laughs) What did you play? I sang. I was the front man. And then I ended up playing guitar in other bands after that and singing. And What was the band? Come on. Can we find them? Or is there? have you scrubbed them from the internet? No, no, they're not scrubbed. (laughs) You can find them on Spotify. That band was, uh, we ended up signing to Victory Records, which is still a big hardcore label. And that band was called Cast Iron Hike. And then I did like a solo thing after that. And then I was in this other thing called Bodega Girls, which had a thing going on for a bit. And it was these periods of like, I really know what I want to do. And then long periods of like, am I getting anywhere? Am I doing anything at Mm -hmm. all? And then of course you're on track, you think again. And then the summation of all that, by the time I met my wife in my mid thirties, I was like, what the fuck have I done with my, you know, what is happening? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause Cause she was like private school, private high school, New England high school, then goes to music school, like then grad school, like she was on a track, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I I was not, and I was really fighting above my weight class when it came to like getting together with my wife. She, she, I like (laughs) overshot. Don't tell her that. that. (laughs) Good job. Good job. job. But anyways, now I look back at it and I realize everything I did, all of it, every stupid decision I made, every like 
10-hour van ride I was in to go play a show to four <laughs> people. Every dumb book I read and shitty album I, list, I wasted money on that I no longer listened to, all of it contributed to what I do now. Yeah. And yep. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. And I'm so grateful and I wouldn't change a thing. It's amazing. It's like you can't know it then. You're not supposed to know right. it then. I feel bad for kids these days because they have social media to all get on there and be like, I don't know what to do. Or they feel like they're comparing themselves to people the, who are really fake or it's they're telling like kind of a story, you know, that whole mm. like, I'm a millionaire and I'm 21 or whatever. It's like, that's bullshit. It's not real. You're supposed to go and be lost and right. not mm-hmm. know and be bummed out. And then because of that, do something about it. Right. Yes. You're not supposed to be comfortable the whole time and you're not supposed to be happy the whole time. You're supposed to like get knocked around a little bit so that you can land and then look back and be like, fucking thank God. Yeah. Yeah. You have to like build resilience. It doesn't just happen. For real. Yeah. But I love that what you're saying because I feel like we ha- we're similar in that way of like all the true crime, creepy shit we watched that everyone talked shit, like what is wrong with you stuff. Yeah. Who the fuck knew it would be our careers? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, well, you were practicing how to be in front of the microphone. Right. right? Yeah. And you too, Karen. It's Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like all the times that you know, like slumber parties where it's like, I can't stop talking because that's actually my anxiety response uh, mm. unlike other people's. And then it's like being able to whisper in a 12-year-old me's ear of like, you're going to make money from being a crazy weird show off. <laughs> don't, don't worry. This, it's it's going to pay off being kind of a freak like this. It's, it's pretty it's nice. It's inspiring. Pretty nice. It is. I, I wonder. <laughs> it is. You know, in, in reading your, your book too, like it, the thing that, that hit me, and I know this had something to do with, with the success of, that you guys have, it's this, the era in which we were raised or not raised. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I'm, I'm 11 years older than my wife. And it's like her parents... They're not necessarily like my my parents are really my mom's was, was a young mom and and her mom was a little older so they're, they're almost the same age but her her stepdad is the same difference in age from me that I am with my wife just in the other direction so wow. she she was raised in almost like with this under this different generation of kind of the first generation of you know millennials where it's like we're to the parents credit it's like we're going to do this right we're going to like, yeah. we're going to parent, we're going to actually pay attention to our kids. You know what I mean? Can and you like, imagine? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we wouldn't have had a lot of fun that we had. However, I wouldn't need as much therapy as I right. needed to. Right, yeah, right, right. They were right to make the change. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh, was that a slam? Was that just a light slam from Dick Brennan? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> just, you can't blame our, we can't blame our parents for everything. You know? Like, yes, we, we can. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've atoned. I told you, I already hired my father. I'm done. I'm done. I know. I love that. Does that inform how you raise your kids too? Are they? I bet they're the cool kids. Um, I think they're cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You'd hope. One would hope. Yeah, they're definitely cooler than I am. But, you know, I, I know I'm doing it wrong on some way. You know, like I feel like my parents did it wrong. Oh, yeah. I kind of feel like if you asked my wife, she'd probably say her parents did it wrong. And if you ask my kids, they're definitely going to say we did it wrong. Like yeah. we haven't hacked this parenting thing. It's like yeah. it's been either like no attention, too much attention, or whatever <laughs> the hell I'm doing now, which I don't even know what it is. <laughs> it's like, 
real back and forth. Like it's yeah. real hot and cold. Yeah. It's, I mean, no, I love my kids. And, you know, I built this studio so that I, you know, right next to my house so that I could be around them as much as possible and not have to take two hours out of my day to work, you know, like all of it's mm-hmm. intentional. But at yeah. the end of the day, is it is it going to help them in the end? I really hope so. But who the hell knows, you know? Yeah, true. Because your dad was in a band, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So rad. And it's a band that opened for the Ramones. So not just like a <laughs> yeah. dad band just kicking around at like the Mexican restaurant down the street, no. but like a band. <laughs> yeah, the Ramones. Yeah. And you were at that show, right? I was, yeah. My dad was and is to some extent. I mean, he's older now, obviously, but my whole life, a professional working musician, like very blue collar. I mean, he was signed to... CBS Records when I was really young. And then he was later signed to Atlantic Records with another fan. But the Ramones thing happened when he was working with Ed Stasium, who was the produced, who produced Ramones Records. And they did a show together. And it was at this period, you know, now I know, I didn't know then. It was at this period in the Ramones career in the early 80s when they weren't really doing much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they played this like real divey place in Rhode Island that my my dad's band opened up for. And I remember... My dad's, whose credit was like, you know, made sure I came to the show. We didn't live together. So it was a big thing. My dad had to drive out, get me an hour away, bring me to another state, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I remember him telling me uh, the importance of the band, you know, mm. and being like, there is an important band. They're not your ordinary band. I didn't mm. know anything. I was like, well, what are they like? He's like, you know, I was into the Beach Boys, I guess, at the time. Bob yeah. Aran was like, I couldn't stop listening to that song. But he's like, they're like the Beach Boys, but just really, really loud. <laughs> <laughs> And sure enough, to my like 10-year-old self or whatever age I was, you know, that's what they were. But I got to be like, I was like backstage and it was like super grimy punk rock, you know, like it it was not, you know, when I started seeing movie, like biopics, music biopics later, I was like, that's not what I remember. You know what I mean? Like, so I already kind of had this thing in my head that like, maybe we're not getting the real story, you know? And then I was in bands and I start to, I, you know, when you're in a band and you're on the road, especially in the pre-internet days, you hear all these stories and there were stories yeah. that my, I would hear from my dad or, or the, my dad's bandmates and about other bands and other musicians that are just crazy stories that mm-hmm. lo and behold, most of which turned out to be true. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, by the time I'm in a band, I can't shut up about this shit. You know what I mean? I'm like, did you know Jerry Lee Lewis killed his wife? And my bandmates are like, shut the fuck up. We don't care. We've heard the story a million times. Yep. <laughs> and then it, you know, it ends up being a podcast. Hell yeah. You just told the perfect origin story. Mm. Yeah. Like, this is actually how it came to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, Karen wrote some questions before this, which I really appreciate. Okay. And there was one on there that I was like, Oh, I want to hear that. And now I can't fucking find it. Hold on one second. I didn't know how this is supposed to work. Should I have had questions as well? Because I can just riff and come up with some. (laughs) Oh my God, please don't ask us anything. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) No, we we wrote you some questions to ask us. Um. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Oh, the question was something along the lines, Karen, of like, uh, is there is there anything you want to cut? Because like Karen and I, there's certain true crime stories we will never, ever cover because mm. they're horrendous mm-hmm. or, you know, just we, illegal. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, we can't talk about them the way we talk about most things. Right. Or we wouldn't want to. Yeah. Right. You know, it would just kind of shut it down a little bit for us. Yeah. So are there any any musicians or any like stories you want to cover that just like legally or whatever reason you can't cover? Yeah. Well, I'll answer 
I'll give you two answers. On the legal side, there was an artist, Mm -hmm. total fucking loser, big artist, Mm -hmm. but a wicked loser. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say, not going to name any of his songs. (laughs) Okay. He was just a he was just a loser, okay? Oh, I see. And 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 <laughs> oh. and he, but he had a lot of other loser friends that were part of this big 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 some would call it a church, other people mm-hmm. might call it a cult. Anyways, mm-hmm. I was going to do a story on this loser. It was going to be the it was going to be the third <laughs> or fourth episode of Disgraceland. And before Disgraceland came out, I wasn't I was just like I'm doing this thing, you know, and I like I made a website and I put what the subjects were going to be. And then the first few episodes hit and and I got all this press like out of nowhere in like real like magazines or editorials online. And that loser's uh, loser lawyer from the loser cult got in touch with me. It was like... Before you even yeah, did it. Yeah, it was like, it was like two days before. And um, I was like, "Yeah, I'm wow. not, I'm not going in on this headache." So, so that didn't happen. No way. It just was they not. They kind of did you a favor, though. They really did. You had they posted really did. that. If 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 the podcast ended, if Disgraceland ended up being just the thing that no one knew about, you know what I mean? Like right. it wouldn't have yeah. mattered. But at that point, really quickly, people did know. Yeah. And I, you know, and I remember like I had one friend who's like, "Oh, you're a fucking solo." I was like, "Fuck you, man!" Like, like. You go turn You're a seller? Yeah, just like, you know, your drunk friend in your ear giving you shit. I'm from Boston, <laughs> New England. Like everyone gives everyone shit. That's how we bond, right, you know? Right, right. Um, <laughs> but uh, it just wasn't worth the headache. But then to the other yes. the other side of it is there's, I don't like to tell stories that involve abuse with children because it's, it's really sad and upsetting mm-hmm. and gross. And honestly, who wants to listen to that? I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to have my, my head in that. And there's a lot of that in the music business, as we know. Yeah, I, I try to stay away from it as much as possible. It creeps in every now and then because you have to acknowledge it sometimes with some artists, if, even if you're telling a different story. And so I've stayed away from the R. Kelly and the Michael Jackson things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, I'm going in. Um, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can tell the story. I, I'm a, I'm good enough at what I do now that I can tell the story in a way that isn't going to be disgusting. That can still be respectful and still mm-hmm. to the victims and still tell the story. Um, I feel like I know I have enough confidence to do it now. But as a rule, I try to stay away from. That's the type of stuff I try to stay away from. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. And also those R. Kelly. Victims have had their say now, which, and you know, that documentary was done so well. Right. That, that, yeah. Sometimes it's good to follow that stuff where you're just like, mm-hmm. well, here's, you know, here's how I would do it, but they yeah. get to say it first. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Good point. How do you like come to terms with, here's an example, John Lennon mm. and people who you respect and love musically, but like kind of are pieces of shit in real life? <laughs> It's it's kind of every single episode. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like every single episode almost. I mean, there's, you know, I'm writing about Robert Johnson now, the, the old blues guy who's like, you know, lauded and just these glowing books and scholarly novel, not all this whole thing. And it's like, when you really read about what the dude was getting up to, was not good, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. but he was like 25, 26 years old. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying like- right. You know, I mean, he wasn't like killing people. And with John Lennon, it's like, you know, John Lennon was a really complicated guy. Yeah. And I try to, without making excuses for these 
artists, I try to be um, objective and empathetic and take into account everything that's going on. Like, we don't know what it's like to be the biggest pop star on the planet. You know, with Taylor right. Swift, we have people criticize yeah. Taylor Swift like it's a fucking job. It, no one yeah. has any idea what it's like to be Taylor Swift, except Taylor Swift. And the fact that she's managed, whether you love her or hate her, managed to get her career to the point where it's at without losing her mind is, yeah. it's, it's an achievement, you know? So it really I, is. I try to not lose sight of that. And I think, honestly, I think that's why people relate to Disgraceland because of that nuance. And there's not a lot of nuance anymore. It's either... Uh, everything, our whole discourse is devolved into I'm right, you're fucking evil. It doesn't matter what the mm-hmm. subject matter is. That's what it is. Yep. And Disgraceland is not that. I love it. Well, it's also, what I really like is kind of like the journey of fame. And like, it's hard for us to understand people that have never stood in front of a football field arena full of people and rocked them and had every single person be like screaming or whatever. Look, our live shows are great. But it's not the same thing. <laughs> Soccer field 2022. Yes, yes for real. My favorite murder in disgrace land are going on. We're going on tour. Love We're going to rock the world. But, you know, when you see those like live at Wembley concerts and it's just like all the arms going like this and it's 80,000 people or whatever. It's like, right. You don't walk off stage from that and go like, well, I got to turn in early because <laughs> I need to take care of myself. Yes. Like, you know that what happens after that is a world full of people going whatever you want. Right. And like, uh-huh. we, none of us would know what we would do if that was our world. George and I are like, yeah, I'm fucking mac and cheese at 1230 at night or whatever. <laughs> It's like, that's our groupie, our groupie mac and cheese. <laughs> You're yeah. eating the shit out of that mac and cheese with like- Oh, it's happening. Snorty and off the dresser. But there is a thing, you you know, you get off stage and there's a chemical thing where you have all yes. this adrenaline yeah. and you, yeah. you, you can't just shut down. You can't shut it off. And that's like, when you introduce drugs into that, as well, mm-hmm. and then trying to just calibrate your your life as a functioning member of society. I mean, it's it's unlike anything civilians have to go through at all. Yeah, drugs, groupies. Yeah, the fun stuff. You made a good point too <laughs> that it's like with like Oasis or someone mm. like that. Like they were 19 years old yeah. when they became in you know yeah. huge stars. Yeah. All of them, Beatles, everyone. Yeah. I mean, as we said, 17-year-olds are stupid. 19-year-olds aren't that much smarter. No. You know? Yeah. George Harrison quit the Beatles when he was 27. 27. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Can you, I mean, just come on. I mean, what the fuck? He'd had enough. You know, I have my head so far up my own ass at 27 <laughs> years old. Never mind being in the Beatles. That's crazy. Right. It's crazy. Right. I was his data entry and it was, and I was... <laughs> Going crazy, you know, <laughs> wilding out and stuff. Ugh. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, 
Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Should we pivot to what we heard from you is an amazing hometown story? Let's pivot. I didn't mean to say we heard from you, meaning like (laughs) <laughs> we don't we don't know if it's good, but you keep saying it is. Well, that's not what I meant. Yeah. This I have to say, the celebrity hometown thing made me think like, oh, what what what's going on in my hometown? And then when I thought about it for a minute, I was like, holy shit. I, I had a laundry list. I was like, I could talk about five different things here. You know what I mean? Which, <laughs> what's your hometown? Clinton, Massachusetts. And I, and I'm the way. There's only one way to tell the story, and this is with me in in it because I'm part of this crime. Yeah, kind of love um, it. First person, first person yes. hometown. I don't. <laughs> when's the last time that's happened? Yeesh. Um, <laughs> I got to be careful. So, <laughs> what are the statute of limitations? <laughs> um, to set the stage, so so Clinton, Mass, is where I grew up. It's like 40 miles west of Boston. Small town, um, beautiful town. But if you've ever seen a, or here's a, here's a fun factoid. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records, my town, in 1977 for the most bars per square mile. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Swear to God. 
Oh, okay. I, need I, I, to go I see there. it. Okay, <laughs> I so get it all. Yeah. Coincidentally, you can't walk ten feet without passing a funeral parlor. <laughs> so, so there's lots of funeral parlors, lots of bars. Wow. <laughs> if you've ever seen a Boston gangster movie or whatever about like South Boston, like Southie, which we all have, it's mm-hmm. Clinton's like the sort of like small town version of Southie. It's not in mm-hmm. the city. It's a mill town. It's a beautiful New England town, but it's got kind of like a creepy element to it, okay? And to mm. prove that, the Stephen King series, uh, Castle uh, Castle Rock, which was, mm-hmm. that was filmed in, in Clinton, the first season. Tim, Tim, did you guys see it? Did you see that? Yes. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Where, where Tim Robbins works, that's the street I grew up on, that street. Like wow. where, where the whole finale takes place is literally the exact spot I got drunk for the first time in my life at on the train track. <laughs> on the train track, they're filming. That must have been a trip. <laughs> they're filming um, the new Stephen King, Salem's Lot, there right now. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I think one of the American Horror, which I've never seen, was was filmed there too. So it's like it's got mm-hmm. like these old Victorians. It looks really cool. Um, so just just to give you a couple small bites at the true crime thing here. One true crime, one myth thing. So when I was in elementary school, they found this girl's body about two houses down from mine, completely just savagely murdered. And mm. I, I know the family, so I don't really want to go into that. But it was yeah. like, I, I wonder now, like things happen to you when you're younger and you just take them for granted. And then you start to think about them as an, as an adult. You're like, did that, what if any effect did that have on me? I don't think it had much, but it did happen. And there was... Out on the, the town line next to the, the town next door, there was this place called Blood Forest. And it was founded by this guy in the 40s named Arthur Blood. And there was all these like stories what? about kids who died there. And literally, I saw this. This is the God's honest truth. There's something biological that is going on with the pond in the middle of Blood Forest. And on a full moon, I swear to God, anyone in Clinton who hears this will know I'm telling the truth. And I know you guys have listeners in Clinton. Um, when the moon falls down on the, on the pond, it's red. And when the moon, when the moon is full. And there's something in like at the bottom of the pond that makes it look like yeah. blood. So Blood Forest. But that's not true crime. What? So. You can't have a you can't name a place blood forest and think everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> like what the fuck? What is like but what's crazy is it's after a guy's name, right? So yes, it could have just as easily been like brown forest, but right, right. that's right. really creepy. Right. That's it's so creepy. I believe it was Arthur Arthur Blood. I think that was the name. Wild. That's in a book. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. It's in a Stephen King book. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not true crime. And there so the true crime one. So this is this cartel thing, okay? This crazy drug cartel story with a missing kid. So like you guys, we kind of hit on this earlier. I was a juvenile delinquent as a child. <laughs> nice. Like, mm-hmm. total, total latchkey kid like you guys, left to my own devices. By the time I got into high school, you know, I was less of a juvenile delinquent and more of just like a stoner high school kid. Like all I wanted to do, like my main motivation in life was to just smoke pot with my friends and listen to music and talk about music <laughs> and play music and, yeah. and have a good time. I mean, it is pretty great. It's like, you're like, <laughs> yeah, Karen's like, yeah, yeah. Sorry, like how that. are things changed for any of I know exactly. I don't. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and what do we right. It's everyone's goal. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying this for the reason that pot was really important to us. Okay. Like <laughs> if we didn't have pot, there was a problem. And we used to buy weed at Mr. Donut. Mr. Donut was like an <gasps> off-brand Dunkin' Donuts. Yes. Yes. Okay. 
like. Oh my God, I <laughs> love it. Clinton has since graduated. We now have a Dunkin' Donuts, so. Uh, but uh, R.I.P. to Mr. Donut. <laughs> yeah. To Mr. Donut. So we used to go in and you could buy, I think it was like, you know, give me one jelly and it was like an eighth weed, two jellies and you'd get, you'd get a quarter ounce yes. and you would get the donuts in the bag, right? So then this summer, I think it was the summer, I thought it was the summer of my going into my sophomore year, but I- Wait, lo- I'm sorry. I hate to interrupt you. Sure, but sure. Did you get the donuts and the pot? I would yes. hope to God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because yeah. oh, they like, yeah. yeah. So they'd stick it in there, but you still got the donuts. Yeah. So when you went and got high, you would have donuts yeah. after. Yes. Was it some teenager? Like, was it one guy when he was working, you could go in? Or was it just like Mr. Donut? That was- One guy. The operation. One guy. And I so want to say his name, but <laughs> I can't I can't <laughs> say his name. He should uh, get the credit. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. One guy who had this connection. And got it. We didn't know who the connection was, you know what I mean? But we knew there was a connection, obviously. Then all of a sudden, in this one summer, there's no weed at all. Like none, nothing. Mm-hmm. No one in town has grass, and it's a problem. Like no one at Mr. Donut, no one anywhere. And we start to hear these rumors that the main guy got busted, the main connection, right? And this guy is like, we just know him as the connect. Like I said, like we don't know anything about him, but then things start to start to creep out. These other, these other rumors about this dude. Turns out he's not just your everyday ordinary drug dealer. He's like Colombian cartel connected <laughs> drug dealer who lives in the town next to ours. And everything is moving in off the islands of Massachusetts, coming up on boats from South America and he's bringing it in and we're like the first town on the fucking, the drug route. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So you, get, you don't get stems and seeds. No, you get the good the shit. The freshest <laughs> weed buds of all time. Well, I got to say, we were like high school low kids on the totem pole so we got crap all the time. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it was not I good. remember 80s weed. It was like, well, not for me, it was 90s, but stems and seeds. Yeah. Yeah. So so this was, this was 90. I thought it was, I thought it might've been earlier. It was 90. I looked this up. So in the summer drought, we called it the drought, these weird, <laughs> these weird things, always the storyteller, I guess, these weird things Love start it. happening. The first thing that happens is my friend's dad, who I don't want to give too many details here because the guys, people, people know him. I will just say he was a man's man, like six, five, badass dude, had a badass job in a position of authority. No one fucked with this guy. And all of a sudden... One night he's walking out of a bar, a van pulls up, he gets abducted, hood over the head, pulled into the car, beat to a pulp, bound and thrown in the bottom of a ditch. And no one did shit about it. No one did anything. Yeah. So it was some- I'm sorry, was he killed? He was not killed. He lived. Which made it even weirder because it's this thing that no one talks about. Like still, you know? And I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to talk about it either. But the point is like if- they're not talking about it. There's a reason. It's because someone doesn't want them to be talking yeah. about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that happens. The drought happens. The abduction happens. Then this uh, kid from the next town over, who we knew is a local drug dealer, high school kid, goes missing. This kid, Richie Tuttle. Mm-hmm. And all the rumors start. He was dealing for the main guy. He said something. He's dead. That he killed him. He's Richie's buried out behind the Fung Wong restaurant. Like this whole Fung Wong was the, like the Chinese restaurant in town. And now it's like scary. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're like, oh shit. All right. So <laughs> around the same time this summer, this guy comes into town, this guy, Artie. Okay. He's older. 
He's in his 30s. He's hanging out with like high school kids, hitting on our girlfriends, driving our cars. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Georgia, this is like the guy your parents warned you about. You know what I mean? Like like literally from central casting, tattoos, violence. I remember there'd be the 30-year-old with the kid, with the, and I'd just be like, oh, that's Danny. And like, (laughs) it was fine. But it's like, looking back, it's like, why is a 30-year-old hanging out yeah. And buying a spear. Yeah. It's buying not- a spear. Yeah. Buying a spear. Well, well, this Danny, <laughs> our Danny, Artie, we, we didn't mind because he all of a sudden was the only guy with pot. So it was like, oh, okay, okay. cool. Like You're gonna- drawing drive Artie's my car? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Artie, <laughs> look at this beautiful Artie. Corolla. Get in. in here. This Corolla. <laughs> you drove a Yugo. Come on. <laughs> Geo Metro. Yeah. Get Geo in my Geo Metro. Metro. Yes. It's purple. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of cars now. I'm losing my train of thought. Anyways, <laughs> Artie, um, we all started hanging out with Artie. God knows why. Because he's got pot and he's buying a spear, I yeah. guess. So, like I said, I was a latchkey kid and... My parents left me alone during the day and it was, I had full reign. I never went to school. I skipped as much school as possible. I stayed home. I read books. I listened to music. Mm-hmm. But at night, they had me under lock and key. They, my mom, <laughs> like I said, was young. She had me when she was 18. So she, she knew all the fucking stupid stuff I was getting up to. It would, yeah. would not, <laughs> when she was around, she wouldn't let me out. I couldn't go out on school nights. So I don't know how this happened, but it was a school night. I must've got in a fight with my mom or something and just like split. But I was at this party, an apartment party. I'm 15, (laughs) okay? I'm at some (laughs) rando adult's apartment on like a Wednesday. (laughs) My My skin is crawling. I can smell it. I can see it. I don't like it at all. It's (laughs) gross. A lot of brown. A lot of brown. A lot of browns and discernible, like greens. You can't really tell which is which, you know? Yeah. Yeah, bong water oh. is spilled. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, exactly. Jesus. You got to be careful which bottle you drink out of bad lighting. Yeah. Oh, that's my cigarette butts. Cigarette butts. Oh, Jesus. In the I Rolling Rock it. bottle, yeah. So. Let a steely down. No, yeah, thanks. Steely down. No, you shouldn't yeah, be there. Exactly. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. So I'm at this party and there's, I'm with a couple of my friends, but it's largely an adult party. And it's Artie's how we got in there. I'm sure of it. But there's also these other grownups. I don't know who the hell they are. And they're like rough looking dudes. It's like a weird vibe. And the 11, I'll never forget. The 11 o'clock news comes on. 
okay, on a Wednesday, I'm guessing, or Thursday, the 11 o'clock <laughs> news comes on and everything gets like really serious all of a sudden. And everyone's watching the tele, the one television. And there's a new a newscast on this prison break at this local <laughs> prison nearby, not in our town, but close by. And I realize the dudes I'm in the room with are watching themselves on television <laughs> on the news <laughs> about the prison break. Oh my God. I, <laughs> they were having a prison break party and you got oh invited to it. Yeah. 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 Did you, did like their photos come up and you like look to the right and look to the left? I, like, you know, I honestly, I want to say yes, but I honestly do not know what the connection was that I made, yeah. but I knew, man, I knew. And it clicked with Artie, the whole thing. And I was like, oh. I was, I just like skulked out of there and I, and I went home and, you know, you kissed your mother and I said you were sorry. I kissed my mom. I said I was sorry. No, please, mommy. <laughs> but that guy, that guy disappeared right after that. Never came back. No Artie? one. Yeah, already disappeared. I never, <sighs> I never fucked with those people again in any meaningful way. Good and you know, going God. into my junior year, you know, I was thinking about this. I, I, because of getting ready to tell you guys this story, I was thinking about this. I think that event had this transformative effect on me where I I just was like, is this the path I'm going to go down hanging out with fucking losers and, and end up like in jail or whatever? But yeah. so, you know, junior, senior year, when I went back to school, junior year and then senior year, those are the only two years I ever applied myself in school to get <laughs> into college and to get out of town. And so it worked wow. out all right. For, for Richie Tuttle, the kid who went missing, it did not work out right. They, oh, no. they ended the, the, the drug kingpin guy, they caught one of his associates. He flipped, ratted out the kingpin, and they ended up pulling Richie Tuttle out of a pond in the next town over about five years later. Yeah, it was brutal. Oh, my God. Yeah. Shit. So he was just a, a teenage drug dealer who got caught up. Yeah. Oh, man. It's so crazy that you think about those things where it's like, how upsetting is it that the decisions you make as a, you know, teenager can affect your whole life that that much. Yeah, that kid that kid maybe just wanted to like he didn't want to get an after school job. Maybe some yeah. like he had a cousin that did it. That's yeah. always how that shit happens is like someone's older yeah. brother does it so he's like I, this is something I can do it's no big deal. Right. And right. then suddenly they're caught up in the fu a fucking cartel. Yeah. That's yeah. horrible. It's crazy. It is horrible. I it, I I pray my kids never hear this podcast because <laughs> I feel like I did a fair share of glorifying my my juvenile delinquency here, but um. no, you made it clear that you know Steely Steely yeah, Dan yeah. and all of that will get you caught up. And Steely Dan's never a good idea. Bad shit. <laughs> Steely Dan will, will drive you down a bad road. But this is this is the full circle thing of like that you have to kind of go through some shit and you have to see what your choices and maybe even the results of those choices could possibly be to go. Yeah, it is. Is quote unquote being cool with this quote unquote cool group of people really where I want to go in my heart? Because, right. or like, because yeah, you don't. Like you're doing, we all do at that age, especially, but kind of all our lives, we do what's kind of around us and what, you know, we think we're supposed to and what we think other people would think is cool. But 
Yeah, that's a great, I mean, but also the idea that you're kind of like 15 trying to blend in and then you realize there's like <laughs> escaped hardened criminals all around you. Yeah, yeah. I was with a couple of my friends. I don't want to cut them out of the story here. I don't want, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to Clinton and get beat up. I just want no, to no. say <laughs> You're like, credit. you think that's your story? Jake, what the fuck? I invited you to that fucking party. Yeah, Artie was my friend. Actually, I just remembered our Artie was named Shaky. That oh my so gosh. I don't even know this guy's name. And he could have been a serial killer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like the girlfriend that they were he was trying to date, you know, oh, that you mentioned. Like yes. I, was, I was 13 and Shaky <laughs> was driving us around buying a spear. Yeah. You never brought Shaky home to mom. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> My mom would have flipped. <laughs> Even as Lachki doesn't isn't around, she would have been like, "You can't hang out mm. with adults." Mm. Yeah, right for voice. real. And I'd be like, "Mom, you're so uncool. <laughs> Shaky's awesome. Shaky's awesome. Oh, Don't brat. make me unpopular, Mom." Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Oh, that was it. Wow. I mean, that was a chef's kiss of a hometown. Uh-huh. I have to tell you. I oh. mean, you're a great storyteller, anyway. But yeah, that really Obviously. was. Twisty turny and little things here and there. That was, yeah. Also, that's from a movie. Seeing the, see, like, a, look, a prison break. And then the party gets quiet. <laughs> shh, 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 quiet. I'm on the news. Oh, I'm finally on TV. <laughs> Guys, circle up. <laughs> circle up. Turn down the music. Circle up. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hats off to Clinton, Massachusetts. Clinton, right. Massachusetts. You guys should come and play. They got a big old theater. You could jam it out. They have a soccer oh, yeah. stadium, you know. First night of our soccer stadium tour. <laughs> yeah. First and only night. First and <laughs> Open only. and close. It'll be like a one-off. Yeah. Do you ever do live shows? I did. I did. I tried it out. They were great. I sold out all of, uh, I did three of them. One in Colorado, one in Boston, one in San Francisco, they were all awesome. I loved it. Nice. When I was doing it, I loved it. But then everything around it, I did not love. And it just reminded me of being in a band again and being being <laughs> away from my kids I didn't like. So yeah. I'm a creative person, obviously, at heart. And I, I can get my complete creative fill doing what I do with, with the podcast. Not to say I won't do it here and there again. I definitely will. But not to the extent that you guys are doing it. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. It turns out, I didn't know this when we started. It turns out touring is hard. Yeah. <laughs> Karen knew. Yeah, I'm calloused over to it. And George is like, I, this is stressing me out. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel anything anymore. So I, I don't have I don't have one friend left who's in a band who enjoys it. If they if they if they act like they are, really? like they're lying. Cause I hear them. <laughs> it's a young, it's a young man's yeah. game for yeah. sure. And it traps yeah. you too. Like I, I have this theory that like the old musicians, like Dylan, these guys who are like still touring constantly, that they're doing it. Because they think now it's all they can do. And if they stop, they will die. Right. And I think there's some truth in that. Yes. You can get trapped in it, you know? I saw one of Tom Petty's last concerts and I was like, what are they doing? Mm, yeah. Go home. Yeah. It's past your bedtime. <laughs> yeah. But it's all they've ever done. I mean, especially Tom Petty. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Wait, Tom Petty, this... You just did a perfect segue. Hey, that's right. <laughs> Tom Petty is in the new is season nine of Disgraceland. That's right. Yes. Tom Petty, Taylor Swift. Juice World, George Harrison, the Eagles, two-parter on the Eagles, just 
Too much cocaine. You couldn't fit it all into one episode. (laughs) So much cocaine. You talk so fast for both of those episodes. You just like speed through it and then smoke three cigarettes. In the middle of like ep two, I'm I'm pitching my screenplay to some random dude. (laughs) Opening a restaurant called Mr. Donut. It's going to be great. Hear me out. You get donuts and you get weed. It used to be illegal. It's not anymore. Let's do this thing. What? It's called Stems and Seeds. Here we go. You know, you're saying all this, we're making fun of cokeheads and I'm I'm like deep into Seinfeld right now. Like, not, like why? Because it's on Netflix. So I'm working my way again through the whole season <laughs> yes, as far as sure. instead of the syndicated ones. And like, basically, I think, I think Kramer is just like a cokehead character, right? He's always <laughs> pitching <laughs> these random ideas he has. He's got way too much energy, you know? It's, it's like implied through that door. cokehead. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah. Very true. So yeah, Disgraceland. Uh, you can get Tom Petty, George Harrison, all, you know, we had tons of episodes, Cardi B, Grateful Dead, Rolling Stones, Ugh. all available for free, amazon.com slash disgraceland. Amazing. And you have like, you have multiple spinoffs of the podcast too, which is so rad. Uh, yeah, we have another show called Badlands, which season three launched today. And that's kind of like the catch-all for other disgraceful stories that aren't just music. So we've done two seasons on Hollywood, one from the world of sports. This is our second season on Hollywood right now. We launched with an episode today on Heath Ledger. And it's me doing the same dog and pony show I do at Disgraceland, just with different <laughs> subject matter. I feel like you're not just gonna, you're not going to have a lot of material for the sports one for people behaving badly. No, you know, no, no. They're, all pretty. they're very polite young men <laughs> and they keep it, they keep it real yeah. low-key yeah, usually. They, right. yeah, they keep it tight. The role models are supposed to, I think Karen and I both understand how hard it is to do a music podcast because you can't put any fucking music in it. Mm. So the fact that you score it all yourself, I feel like is the workaround, Mm. but we've been pitched music podcasts before for the network. And it's like, well, we can't, we can't do that. You'll get sued multiple times. Right, right. Come to us, come to Double Elvis, our company, we'll collab, we'll figure it (laughs) out, we'll figure it out. Yeah. All we do is music podcasts, except the two sports and Hollywood ones I just mentioned. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. But yeah, being a musician has helped. And in the beginning, I scored everything. I score it now myself, but I have other musicians who work with me and that way we can do things fast and quick. And honestly, like that's part of the most fun part of it for me is being able to fuck with the music while it still makes me feel like I'm a half-assed musician, which is... Yeah, well, because you can. I mean, that's the thing is like, put it all out there. It's your podcast and that's how you started. So like, it makes perfect sense. It's like, yeah, I'm talking, I'm writing, (laughs) I'm writing this music. (laughs) Get a load of me, Jake Bannon. It's a one-man band with with a 15 full-time staff of employees around me. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it's a small, a small little Industry. Yeah. Well, it's great to see you again. It's been so long. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Thank you for having me. I really had fun. I'm so stoked we got to do this and I can't wait to see you guys in person again, hopefully sometime soon. Hell yeah. Totally. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right. Stay sexy and don't get murdered. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Perfect. Amazing. That's perfect. perfect. Amazing. <laughs> you oh guys my God, are the that best. was so Yay. good. Oh my God, that was thank so great. That was fun. Jake, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. We'll see you around, guys. Thanks. <laughs> bye bye. Okay. Bye. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our senior producers are Hannah Kyle Crichton and Natalie Wren. Our producer is Alejandra Keck. This episode was engineered and mixed by Andrew Epen. Email your hometowns and fucking hoorays to myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. 
Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at My Favorite Murder and on Twitter at My Fave Murder. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Goodbye. Goodbye.